I am Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Tanner Emke with Cobank. This episode of the Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast is brought to you courtesy of Agri Solutions. Let's jump in as Casey and Tanner cover a lot in today's episode, from bank failures to the Consumer Product Index and Russia and Ukraine. I have got Tanner Emke back on here from CoBank to talk about the world of ag economics. So how you doing, man? Doing great. Great to be back again, Casey. Yeah. And, and the good thing about this, Tanner, is that we actually have plenty of stuff to talk about here in the world of ag economics. So you and I never have a shortage of things to talk about. <laughs> we, now, we never do. We man. really don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're exactly right. So uh, let's set the table here a little bit for kind of what we're going to talk about today. So one, obviously, we're going to talk about um, what's happened with the bank um, out in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank, and then the, the bank in New York. I can't remember what it was called, but both of those um, collapsed, you know, and what, what how that whole thing happened. Talking about uh, USDA's outlook for 23, we're going to talk about um, the Grain Corridor and, and the Black Sea and what we see happening there with Russia and Ukraine, and, uh, you know, a few other things will pop up here along the way, too. So um, let's start with this first. So because I think these two kind of correlate together. The CPI report came out uh, this week. Um, it was They were hoping for 6.7, and they got to 6.0, so it had a pretty dramatic um, downturn there in overall um, consumer product index uh, inflation and what they saw happening there. Um, Chairman Powell had already talked about raising somewhere between a quarter and a half percent. They kind of hit it more towards the half a percent more than anything else. But yeah. um, with this news coming up, uh, there was some thought that, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to we're going to sell, do this, and then kind of wait and see what happens. But with interest rates the way they were, that's what kind of affected this uh, collapse in uh, in the uh, interest or in the the banks that we saw. So I guess Tanner, looking at that, what's your thoughts on that, and 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 what's your I guess what's your best guess moving forward now? What the Fed might do? Well, I think those two things that you just talked about there with uh, CPI coming in at six. And then the the banking uh, situation uh, that we're experiencing right now uh, takes the th- those two factors combined really takes the wind out of the sails of a fifty point increase uh, in their right. meeting next week. And so I think uh, that talk is probably going to be softened quite a bit now uh, with the Fed. Um, now, you, inflation is still high. Uh, it's just that the, the pace of uh, Inflation is uh, slowing down. Uh, what really got the Fed concerned was back in January when we had uh, inflation at 6.3. It was, it was still fairly high, and uh, and it was wasn't really didn't from de- from December to January didn't uh, move uh, the the degree that people had hoped or that had thought, and so that was what really got the Fed. And others uh, fired up about, hey, we got to get back to a 50 point basis increase, 50, uh, 50 basis point increases. But now you add in the, the slower uh, the CPI. Now you add in uh, the banking situation. You had the two big, uh, the second and third biggest bank failures in US history happened in the span of a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, and then you add in another bank failure, and then you add in uh, Credit Suisse. And some of the situations that they're dealing with right now, and the Swiss government looks like they're stepping in uh, to support them. Um, it, it appears as though, uh, from the outset, 
I mean, these four events happening in short order in the span of less than a week, that one would think that we're in the midst of a crisis. And now we're going to relive 2008 all over again. Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, there's always that uh, market dynamic where um, money is going to get pulled out of the marketplace because of those fears. And that's kind of what we're seeing in things like the stock market. Uh, but I would, I'd say, though, that a lot of this was uh, really focused on some banks that were badly managed. It's not, it's not a contagion. And so I think that's in the Fed's mind, because go back into 2008, that was a contagion. Yeah. You had all of those that, houses that, was bad. Yeah. Uh, that were uh, underwater. I mean, that was systemic. I mean, that was an absolute collapse in the market. Fast forward to today, and what do you have? Well, you've got some badly managed banks dealing with a, a, a rising interest rate environment. And so in my mind, and from what I'm reading with other economists and other people in the marketplace out there, this is not a contagion. Uh, it is going to be contained. Uh, and this is what you would expect after so many years of uh, near zero interest rates. Uh, there was going to be some reckless banks out there, banks that uh, were not uh, doing smart uh, or were not being smart with their money. And so now we're seeing the effects of it now when the Fed starts pulling back again, bringing rates back in line to where they should be. Uh, you're going to see those those banks that were reckless kind of shake out of the marketplace. They're going to get sh they're going to they're going to be falling out of the competition, if you will, uh, because they just out of incompetence of leadership and management is what this comes down to. It's, it's, so it's not a con it's not a contagion. And so I think uh, the Fed probably sees it that way. Uh, all of those folks lived through 2008. Uh, they were around. They know yeah. what a conta true contagion really looks like. And that's not what this is. They're, they're entirely different. So I think the Fed's going to move ahead with a, a rate increase next week. Uh, but I think right now with uh, you've, the banking situation, uh, as we'll call it, and then also uh, inflation coming in at 6 on the CPI, 6.0. I think that really gives the, that that takes the wind out of the sails, if you will, of doing a fifty-point increase. I think they're going to say, "Okay, let's just stair step it up to twenty-five, a little bit more cautious, and then we'll see where we go from here." I think that's I think yeah. that seems like a reasonable expectation for the Fed next week, in my mind. Right that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, the things that were going on two thousand eight were woefully under. Uh, oh. Was, I mean, Nightmare. just people were people were getting loans for houses that they no one there's no piece of paper anywhere that should they could actually pay for it and and their yeah. credit risks and everything else that came I mean it was just a it was a disaster waiting to happen and it, and it happened and I think you're right here I mean they've got a lot of regulations a lot of bank examiners yes. and those kind of things are really watchful eye of what's going on and I think the one thing about banks like Silicon Valley Bank is that they're they're not your traditional bank. Their their whole business model was based around the venture capital startup thing, where you had the assets, but not necessarily the cash, and and uh, your profits may or may or may or not have been as high as they wanted, but they're they're willing to to step in and 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 help some of these people out. And with this stuff happening, there were plenty of folks that were signing up that were standing up saying, "Hey, if, if Silicon Valley Bank would not have given me um, this loan." There's no way that I would be what we are now, you know, a, a Chewy or somebody like that. You know, these bigger 
you know, startups that you've seen that have become very successful. So it's a niche market for sure, but it was very risky what they were doing for sure. And the way they were managing their funds, they were so exposed <laughs> sure. to 90 billion yeah. in long dated bonds that were falling in value. Yeah. I mean, don't tell me they didn't see this coming in a rising interest rate environment. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this one, uh, this one economist I was reading was saying that it wasn't bad management. Uh, it was horrendous management. Yeah. And that's, that's not normal. Uh, right. Most, uh, unfortunately, the cost is going to be borne by well-managed banks. Uh, their uh, cost of insurance is going to go up. Uh, but uh, that sounds like, uh, you know, a, a, a headache to be borne by uh, healthy banks, but it's not a contagion. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what has to be stressed here. It's, we're not in, we're not in 2000 and, uh, 2008. It's an entirely different environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing too was that, I think the big takeaway from all this too is one tweet brought that place down. I mean, and then and then obviously other guys piled onto it, but I mean it was just one one tweet really kind of started that fire, and then a lot of people yeah. threw gasoline on it after that. But it was, I think Moody's had also downgraded them. Yeah, yeah. Moody's downgraded them, then added it. Uh, that was that added uh, to the fire, I guess. But no, the tweet and then everyone piling on in the social media environment. Oh my, let's, <laughs> it just kind of, uh, fire or snowballs from there. Yeah. Somebody made somebody mad. That's for sure. So <laughs> anyway, all right. So let's jump over and talk about what we see happen with USDA moving into 23 and what their outlooks are there. Um, still a lot of positivity out there, what we're seeing. Um, they've talked a lot about, you know, crop prices and what they might look like there being significant, not, not significant, it's not the right word, but lower than what we see them now moving into that. Um, but we are seeing a lot of uh, pressure taken away on the input side compared to what we saw last year. So I guess, what are your thoughts there, Tanner? Well, when you look at USDA's latest forecast from the Ag Outlook, uh, that's kind of my you know, go-to for the next year ahead. Uh, I look at the global stocks use, and uh, they're expecting uh, corn and uh, wheat, you know, the grains at large, to be tightened. Uh, whereas soybeans, uh, not so much, and that's because of the record crop down uh, in Brazil. Now, that being said, there's still a lot of things we're dealing with. There's drought in Argentina. There's drought on the plains here in the U.S. Uh, you still have the, the Black Sea Corridor issue, a lot, a lot of uh, production lost uh, in Ukraine. And so those factors are going to be uh, hanging on in the grain markets for quite some time. I mean, those are not things that get reversed easily. Uh, and so I think uh, we're going to be in this situation, uh, and USDA uh, agrees, where we're going to be a little tight on uh, grains globally uh, for the year ahead. And not nearly as much for soybeans, uh, but it's, 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 you know, those headaches are going to be there, especially for the end users. And uh, although grain prices, grain and soybean prices have come down uh, from their highs, we're still high, historically speaking, and so that's going to be impacting your user end users. Now, for the for the crop farmers out there, this is great news, uh, especially um, you know you know as we start to see input prices come down. There's been some concern that with uh, commodity prices coming down, that we're going to start to see a squeeze on net farm income, and that's to be expected. Uh, but uh, you know the world is still tight, so I wouldn't really say that. We're going to be uh, in a uh, in a terrible financial situation in agriculture 
uh, in the year ahead. Uh, it's just going to be a tighter uh, cash flow for a lot of farmers with uh, yeah. uh, inputs still fairly high historically. And, you know, commodity prices have come off the peak. So uh, that's going to stretch the margins a little bit. We'll get back to the discussion in a moment, but first I wanted to thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of premium tillage parts and extended life solutions with AgriSolutions. As the market leader in wearable parts, components, accessories, and solutions for tillage, seeding, planting, and fertilizing, AgriSolutions is proud of their purpose, to build and feed the world. To learn more about AgriSolutions and their globally recognized brands such as Belota, Ingersoll Tillage, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Now back to Casey. All right, so let's talk about what we see. So the, the Ukrainian, uh, Russian Black Sea grain corridor, right? Yeah. Um, that That's a, a tricky situation, more so than I think we've seen in the past. Is two things I think that are really going to make it kind of back to what you said about tight stocks, especially in wheat. Um, Russian wheat crop so far is, is predicting to be somewhere between 15 and 20% down, depending on where you look at. Um, and Ukraine is just no matter if they if they had the best crop on the planet ever for the next 10 years, they're still going to struggle to get things out of Ukraine. So I guess as you're looking at at that situation there, which at any time that whole grain corridor thing could just be shut off totally and right. um, you know what that looks like. But I guess as you're looking at that and you start looking at the Af- northern African countries, Asian countries that are relying upon that wheat that comes out of that area. I, I guess, what are your thoughts there? And, and how do you think that affects the long-term uh, effects of what we see happen in the U.S. and in South America as well? Well, there's one thing I want to point out here uh, back back on the the uh, the corridor, uh, the grain corridor out of the Black Sea uh, that Russia has allowed uh, shipments of uh, grains and oil seeds out of Ukraine to move out of the Black Sea. That is contingent on the agreement here for the next 90 days uh, on uh, that remaining open. And what's what's important here about 90 days? Why 90 days? Why don't they just say, oh, let's just keep it open and so, so people can uh, be fed, we can avert a crisis globally. Why don't we just keep it open the whole time? Why are they agreeing to 90 days only? There's something else we got to watch, and that is the election in Turkey. Why does that oh. matter? It, it was President yeah. Erdogan who put that deal together, remember? Right. Yep. Uh, it was Tur- uh, Turkey and uh, Russia are still buds, uh, even though Turkey is NATO. Uh, Erdogan and uh, Putin are allies ish, kind of. And so, uh, Erdogan, unfortunately, or fortunately, how whoever's uh, from whatever, depending upon your political stance, uh, looks to be politically in trouble. Uh, he looks to be behind in the polls, and they have an election coming up. And so Russia uh, would be worried about that, that they might potentially lose their ally that they have in uh, uh, President Erdogan. And so that's why they're not wanting to extend it beyond that. They're only extending it 90 days. And then the Russians are going to take a look and to see what happens uh, with the uh, Turkish election. And if their friend Erdogan uh, is removed from office, then we have reason to believe that perhaps the political support there for that uh, Green Sea Corridor 
goes away, or the excuse me, the the Black Sea corridor goes away, and that would really shake the markets. So there's a lot to, here to watch. Uh, all these moving parts uh, politically uh, and, uh, that are going to be affecting the grain markets. So over the next 90 days, uh, we need to keep keep an eye of what happens uh, over in Turkey, uh, and if Erdogan loses. How are the Russians going to respond? Are they going to pull the plug uh, on the, uh, the the Black Sea Grain Corridor? Um, given that they've decided that they were insisting on 90 days and not any further than that, would le- would lend the idea here that that uh, corridor perhaps could be in trouble uh, if they're not willing to commit to it. So that's something we're going to need to watch. This is in addition to the drought that we have on the plains here in the U.S. It's in addition to the drought in Argentina, okay? And now you start to see a situation here where we could get really, really tight on grain really, really quick. Uh, Oil seeds, not as big as a deal because of the record crop coming out of Brazil, but definitely when it comes to corn and wheat, uh, we could be in a situation where all of these things align on supply and then politically that would uh, out of the Black Sea that would quickly tighten supply instantly where we could have um, a dramatically different market environment, we'll say, uh, unfold for grains. So there's something to watch. I think there's a lot of points yeah. that are going to align. It's all going to be impacting really on the grains, uh, corn and wheat. Yep. That is a uh, – I didn't really put those two things together, but uh, – Erdogan's uh, election and and what that looks like that is a, that would be a big deal and if they shut that down I mean like you said there's it's already hard enough to make it work the way it is much less completely yeah. turning it off that would be that'd be a big deal and big plus deal the fact that acreage is down in Ukraine it's we we know that that's yeah. and yeah. so we're already going to be in a uh, tighter environment now you add in the political uh, situation and uh, wheat and grain stocks uh, globally tradable wheat and grain stocks globally could tighten pretty quickly. Yep. All right, let's jump over and, and I'd like, cause this is your area especially here. So let's talk about the dairy market for a little bit. They are still, it's, I don't know if it's gotten any better since the last time we talked, it's still a struggle to make that dairy market work. And I guess as you're looking out through 23, what are some of your expectations for that? And with China coming back on board, uh, hopefully kind of getting the stuff down and there's such a huge buyer of milk powder, I guess, looking at that, yeah, in our relationship with China at this point, I mean, I guess what's your outlook for 23 in the dairy market? Well, I think the, the consensus is that we're going to be seeing, seeing a tightening of the herd um, later this year. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how fast we're going to tighten, but uh, because margins have been, have been eroded, uh, we're definitely going to see some pressure there. And we've seen slaughter rates uh, among dairy cows up uh, near, near record highs. And so that would indicate that we're, we're heading into this transition here where we're going to see tighter milk supply in the U.S., which would uh, coincide uh, with a recovery in the Chinese economy. You know, the, 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 WT, the, the World Bank was uh, forecasting a, recover, a faster recovery in the Chinese uh, economy uh, now, that, now that they're kind of coming out of this uh, COVID lockdown period and uh, their, their economy is uh, showing fat, was expected to show faster growth. 
China, which is the largest uh, dairy importer uh, in the world, would be seeing stronger economic recovery later on at a time where we would see tightening supply. So uh, right now, yes, uh, milk prices have been under pressure. A lot of that is due uh, to the fact that not only here in recent months, we've exp expanded production and productivity at the same time, but over in Europe, they've had phenomenal weather. Uh, and we've had very mild weather here too, uh, historically speaking. And so that's been a positive on production. Uh, but um, those, fa those fundamental factors are going to go away if we start to see uh, uh persistent erosion of margins for producers. And then what you're going to see is a shrinkage in the herd as you see slaughter rates increase. Uh, at the same time, uh, heifer prices are still extremely high. And so the cost of replacing that milk cow is going up. And so it's going to be harder and harder to rebuild a herd uh, with these elevated costs. So I think further out, um, given these supply demand fundamentals, it looks like you know, although uh, we're in a period of uh, depressed uh, prices right now, uh, that may change in short order uh, later on this year. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts out there right now. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on. Um, They're all connected. So, uh, aren't there? This is amazing how, how interconnected all this stuff is. I guess so one last topic here, let's talk about this a little bit. You brought it up. I was going to talk a little bit about China, what you see there. With the reopening and what we see happening there, that reopening is not happening as fast as they make it out to be. We're still seeing a lot of a lot of delay, a lot of drag. Um, they're buying a lot of stuff out of South America, which you'd expect, but they're buying a lot of beef, a lot of pork, and a lot of soybeans out of the U.S. too. So I guess as you're looking at that, um, Tanner, do you feel like this is a ramp up for what they're expecting, or do you really feel like that demand's actually there for what we see happening with Chinese imports? A lot of those uh, purchases uh, tend to be strategic uh, uh, from the, uh, from China's strategic reserve. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, when they see uh, commodity prices down, uh, then they would be motivated to take Jump advantage in, yeah. of that, uh, put it into their cold storage for later use uh, or replenish their stockpiles. Um, yeah, so it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to bet what the Chinese government's going to do. Uh, so uh, that being said, uh, we are in a position here where you, you brought up livestock. Uh, our economist uh, who covers animal protein, uh, Brian Ernest, he covers that uh, uh, very well. And he, you know, he's pointed out uh, the tightness in supplies and uh, how we're going to be in this, uh, this situation uh, going forward where uh, it's more of a supply situation more than it is anything else because the drought here in the U.S., and then when you talk about the grains, which we discussed a little bit ago, a lot of that is drought uh, related. So uh, on the supply side, uh, it is just tight uh, because of those fundamentals. Uh, that being said, the demand side uh, looks to be improving longer term, especially for China. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, this rising interest rate environment. It's going to slow down uh, growth uh, globally for a lot of other countries, including China, they're going to be impacted by this. And so I think uh, that's one thing you got to watch. So they're recovering uh, from uh, their COVID lockdowns, and that is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's going to be, there's a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. But you can't grow an economy when everyone's locked down at home. Uh, and so exactly, the upside yeah. here has now been opened up now with uh, uh those policies going away. So that's been a positive, but we got to keep an eye on what's going on uh, with interest rates. 
and uh, perhaps uh, there may be more uh, bank issues uh, globally uh, or economic issues like over in China that we got to watch with their real estate market. Yeah. Is that going to be the next thing to go uh, that could mm-hmm. be impacting their economy? Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here that we just got to keep our eyes on. Uh, and, and until we see it, we have to assume that them that China's reopening of their economy is going to be positive for their growth. Uh, we'll just have to watch some of these uh, black swans like their uh, their uh, real estate market. That could be in trouble in a rising interest rate environment. Very much so. Tanner, a lot of moving parts there, a lot of good stuff going on. You guys have tons of information over at CoBank. What's the best way for folks to go find that information? And they can find our research at CoBank.com, and our research is under the Knowledge Exchange tab. Right on. Tanner, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Just, read, just find us on the website, and you can find our contact information there. Right on, man. Well, Tanner, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me back. Thanks to Casey for sharing his conversation with us. You can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.